Hello, Dis After Dark listeners. Um, this is Nick, as I'm sure you recognise my voice already, but this isn't an episode of Dis After Dark, as you can probably tell by the title. Myself and the talented Mr. Ripley often kind of go off on tangents and we have conversations which don't really kind of fit into any of the remits of any of the podcasts we have on the After Dark Network. And we just thought it'd be I don't know, maybe fun for us to get together and just do a podcast that isn't like anything else that we do. It is effectively two men in their 30s reminiscing about their childhood, reminiscing about action figures, TV shows, um, crazy stories that might have happened to us in, in real life. And we decided to call it Alas, Branch and Ripley because... The conversation, in the end, kind of reminded us of the old uh, Smith and Jones sketches that they they used to do the two talking heads. So we've done a podcast. This is the first episode, and this is not going to be a regular podcast in that it's going to have a very strict schedule. It's going to be when we get the time to do it, and when we've got a subject or things that we want to talk about. We're going to aim to do them at least once a month but again there's no kind of set time so they will just come out when they do and there will be a dedicated feed so if you search for alas branch and ripley in your normal podcast provider of choice um i'm just working on on getting it set up but that will be appearing in the in the forthcoming weeks so this is episode one we put this out to the patreons uh, about a week ago and the aim for this show is that it will be a Patreon exclusive at first. So if you're a Patreon member, you will get access to the latest episodes first. And then a week later, we're going to release them on the feed. So this is the only episode you're going to hear on the Disaster Dark channel. We just wanted you as our our audience to, to know that we've got a new podcast. And this is what it's going to be. And... We, we hope you enjoy it. So, without further ado, I'll start the podcast. Good evening. The whole idea behind this to me is that quite often, either on a podcast or social media or whatever, we'll kind of go off on a weird tangent, which doesn't really fit into any <laughs> podcast that we do. Yeah, it's usually just you and me that know what we're talking about. <laughs> and that is exactly why this needs to be documented. This, this here could be the greatest podcast that, it has ever been broadcast on the network or it could just be to getting close to middle-aged men reminiscing about stuff. I thought he was going all Jack Black then. <laughs> not quite. <laughs> and we're not as old as him either. Um, no. But I, I, you know, I said to you the other day, I just kind of threw an idea. Was it yesterday? Might've been even as soon as yesterday. Mm, yeah. And just said, we should just do a podcast that we can put out on, on Patreon or wherever and it can just be you and me talking about stuff and it doesn't matter 
Um, you know, how often we do it. This isn't going to be a schedule thing. It will just be if we've got time, if something's come up that we want to talk about. And as you said, it's probably going to be something that you and me are going to talk about and it's going to be nothing to anyone else. And mm. that's fine. Um, I mean, I hadn't even, and I still haven't, thought of even a title we could call this because I don't even know what it is yet. So would you release it under, say, pop or ego or something else? That's an interesting question. So Craig asked me that earlier because I said to him about us. Well, he actually said to me, when you had said in the group, you're free tonight, he messaged me and said, yeah, why don't you do that thing he was talking about Chris to me? And I was like, I'd already thought of it. Don't worry. And uh, he said, you know, and if you want, you could put put it out on pop or ego. And I said, I don't know. I said, like, in a way, I almost want to, I'd be, because it's going to be just every now and again, I'd be quite happy to give it to our Patreons as part of, you know, the bonus content we give to them. But I also think it could be something that we could also share with, um, I'd put it on this after dark. Sod it. I want it to get the best audience it, the biggest <laughs> audience it can do. Your talent is too good to waste. No, 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 no. Show. I'm nothing without you. Oh. And besides, can... we don't get any downloads unless we mention Tom Corliss, so That is very true. Or Jim Hill. Yeah. Apparently. Um, well. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean the thing is, like, and this is another thing. We have at this moment, at the time of recording. Um, we have still not met in real life. No. And I don't know when we are, but I know we are going to at some point. And I think it's really, um, not weird, that's the wrong phrase, but we connect, I I feel that we connect really well, even though we've never actually met in real life. Yeah. Well, we're, um, what month was you born in? July. Oh yeah, we're both July, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, I'm the I'm the twelfth. Yeah, and I'm the twenty seventh. So yeah, so you're a week and a half older than me. <laughs> oh man, and you're always going to be able to have that over me as well, you know. <laughs> like, no, like, like no matter what happens, even even who dies first, it doesn't matter. You will always be younger than me, always. <laughs> yeah, but we'll both be younger than Craig. Well, that's a given. <laughs> I would love to, my, my daughter is, um, doesn't really understand ages, right? So um, if I turn around to her and say, oh, how old, how old do you think I am? She will say 56. You know, I barely look 36, and that's not being egotistical. Like, if I shave, I look about 12. Yeah, yeah. I've just got a very young-looking face. So the fact that she says 56, you know, does does kick me a little bit in the gut so i mean i can only imagine what age she thinks craig is i dread to think (laughs) really know what kids are like she'd probably say 38 (laughs) she better not not she thinks he's older than me um but yeah so and really where this where this kind of spurred from for me is the conversation the other day and i can't even remember how it started Mm. but swamp thing Oh, it was, yeah, it was. Was it that? Yeah, it was that, wasn't it? Yeah, because I posted about um, VCR fishing. I think that was the next day, wasn't it? VCR, yes. Okay, <laughs> VCR fishing? Have I missed yeah. out trend? Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean now. <laughs> yeah, 
that's fishing, kids, not not anything else. Yeah, not the um, other type of fishing. Hmm. And um, yeah, so I was saying that a lot of the the not uh, not vast amounts, but a fair bit of pop culture that I learned, and uh, and so did you as well, was from watching late night TV when the schedules were a little bit haphazard, weren't they? Well, and well, we had four channels. Four, yeah, just. And, and what did we have as well? Um, we had channels that didn't even run through the night. Yeah, true. Some channels, true. BBC, BBC One used to finish at some stupid o'clock, didn't it? Yeah, one used to finish. Didn't two used to roll into Open University at some point? Yes. Um, or secondary education programs, something like that. A three, yeah. I think three and four were the two that kept going, wasn't it? Yeah, because I'm. Oh, you know what? We'll talk about late night TV and ITV either later on this episode or in a future one because, oh man, I used to love that. But let's uh, do it now. I mean, that's where I first saw Penn and Teller. You know what? That might have been when I first saw Penn and Teller as well. Because they, they were really big in the club scene in Britain mm. when they wasn't very famous. Was, um, it, was it like a variety show? It was a variety show, and I've got a vague feeling that Lily Savage used to present it. <gasps> I think you're right. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to Google that in a second. Um, all right, so, all right, late night TV. So we were talking about, and we'll get onto something maybe at some point in our lifetime, but um, we were talking about late night TV because that's where I found stuff like Godzilla. Mm. And that was a good source to, to find horror films. Mm. Um, but ITV used to be the king for me. Now, I have talked on on other podcasts about the relationship with my parents, so we're not going to go into that. But um, I, I I used to be I was able to stay out quite late, like ridiculously late, um, with no kind of cause of concern at the weekends during the week. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd be in bed by ten eleven o'clock, which is still quite late compared to my friends. Um, but Fridays uh, and Saturdays, weekend, basically do whatever I wanted. And ITV used to show the best programming. So mm. I used to watch uh, Married with Children. Yes. Yes. Uh, American oh Gladiators. Yes. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. And uh, WCW. They showed WCW for a while. And then um, yeah. do you ever remember Hitman and Her? No, I don't, unfortunately. Now, this is a weird... This is a weird thing, and some of our audience might get it. I suppose it depends where in the world you are, but it was a TV show that was hosted by Pete Waterman, the famous music producer. Yeah. He was the hitman, you see, because he was making hits. Oh, my God. And Michaela Strachan was her because she's female and it's sexist in the 80s. And they would would go to nightclubs and they would just film – people dancing in a nightclub to club music for like an hour every week. Oh my God. And, what and a that, was, that was a show. That was a show that went on for years. Right. So TV could be weird. Oh my, do you remember get stuffed? Yes. Yes. Well, that was, what was that? That was in like a caravan or something, wasn't it? That was wherever they filmed it. It would just be random people knocking up a really crappy, like quick meal. Like, you know, today I'm going to make uh Marmite Tolsty. <laughs> in a caravan <laughs> yeah and it lasted like five minutes each episode that was weird 
Um, do, do you know what else? And I was watching it earlier tonight. That, that reminds me of Get Stuff was Bottom. Okay. Just because I got a vague sort of recollection of watching Bottom and Get Stuffed in the same night once. Oh, quite quite easily because Bottom. I remember being because of like the content. It was a little bit later than it must have been post Watershed. Bottom. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I th- I've got a vague memory that on a Friday late you'd have. Red Dwarf, which was fairly, yeah. you know, what's the word? Um, it wasn't very outrageous, was it? No. Um, and then something else, and then Bottom. Oh, man. Yeah, Friday night used to be like comedy night, didn't it, on the BBC? We did, didn't it? Yeah, particularly BBC Two. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I remember, like, so Married Children, I, I used to really like, but mm-hmm. I, I remember being really obsessed with American Gladiators, and then... Um, I remember one week, this must have been about 91, and you'll find mm. out why in a second, it must have been that, because they were advertising um, an, an address for you to apply for tickets to see the brand new uh, British version of Gladiators. Oh, right. And I got well excited, and, uh, you know, it was in Birmingham, and my parents were like, oh, no, we're not, we're not going to Birmingham to watch Gladiators. And then because I knew they were making it, I was getting really excited, waiting, waiting, waiting. And I think, I'm sure Gladiators debuted in 92. Mm-hmm. So it must have been 91 that they were advertising for audience tickets. But, right. oh man. And if I, if, I, if I felt tired, I'd record it. And so we're bringing it back full circle because this is how we first got onto this on Twitter the other day. Mm. It's because you were talking about BCR fishing. So do you want to explain... Because I know what you mean by that, but do you want to explain what you meant by VCR fishing? Yeah, well, it, it was a real sort of Generation X sort of thing to do in as much as we had no internet. And, you know, if you went to a news agent, it's very rare you'd find a specialist news agent. Everything would be Radio Times and, you know, Angler's Mail or something, you know. But <laughs> in terms of finding out about things and, and what stuff was on, um, unless you had the newspaper from that day, you didn't necessarily know what was on TV later on. Um, no. Teletext. Some TVs had teletext, but not all. But that was one way of finding out. Mm. Um, so what we, I would do as a kid was not actively search out to see what was on. And sometimes the, the listings would change anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, because they did. It, no one really cared back then. Because um, <laughs> there was no, you know, there was no Sky Plus or anything like that. So, you know, what we do is basically set a VCR up, put a blank tape in, put it on long record. Yeah. So a three-hour tape would be a six-hour record. Mm. Um, And then basically just record all of the programs that were on that channel for the rest of the evening. And you would get a mixture of things normally. I mean, even weekdays, you'd get good stuff. It'd be films, TV shows, but... A lot of the channel, well, not a lot of the channels, but I think ITV, when it got very, very late, I think for some reason, and correct me if I'm wrong, didn't they have like a man in like a broom cupboard introducing stuff? They did for a while, yeah. And I don't really know why. <laughs> yeah. Might have been Channel 4, might have been ITV. I've got a feeling it was ITV. And he would basically introduce the stuff and then periodically he'd say what the weather would be like tomorrow. Um, tell a few, you know, corny jokes or people have written in yesterday to say things, and that was it. But essentially, it was recording all these things, and then the next day or whenever, going through the video you've recorded and finding, you know, I mean, that's how I found Hammer films, I mean, Carry On films, 
um, you know, all of these TV shows that we're talking about now that, you know, they weren't prime time viewing. They were all sort of B-list stuff. But some oh. of it, it, it made our childhoods, essentially. Yeah, because, you know, it was it was something different. Um, you know, in some cases, it almost felt like it was a secret thing. And as you said, because you didn't have the internet, you wouldn't know necessarily what was on. Um, you, you know, it, it was potluck, and you'd either stumble across something that, that was great or not. Yeah. I remember, and and the one, I think probably the first thing I did when I first discovered the internet was I looked up some of like the old TV shows that I watched to yeah. see if I could find anything about them. Um, yeah. And there was a show called The Highwayman or The Highwayman. Mm, and it was one of these, it was one of these like Jerry Larson um, programs. He was like the guy that did like uh Knight Rider, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And it was, a bit like a ripoff of Mad Max. It was like set in uh, the future when, uh, you know, an alternative future when everything was rough. Yeah. And this guy, and he was played by uh, Flash Gordon. What was his name? Sam Jones. Uh-huh. But with dark hair rather than blonde hair. And he had this truck, this massive truck, like 18-wheeler, but the front cab of the truck turned into a helicopter. <laughs> And I mean, it was awful and the effects were awful, but I remember seeing it when I was a little kid and forgetting what it was. Yeah. And then I used to, um, during the summer holidays and that, I would quite often go into my dad's work and that, mm-hmm. that's where I could use the internet. And um, I would, it, it would be, right, I'm in meetings all day, here's a computer, knock yourself out. And I would just like read stuff for hours. And, you know, it would mainly be like, what can I remember from my childhood and, and doing that? And that's when I found out what the program was. And it wasn't a great program. And I think it lasted like 12 episodes. But I remember seeing it late night on ITV and never seeing it ever again. Because that was it. If you didn't, a lot of these shows like, would mm. be shown once or something and you probably wouldn't see them again. Yeah. That was it. That was it. And as you said, you would just stumble across stuff by a complete accident. Yeah. I think they were probably buying cheap content from providers itv and channel 4 uh, particularly itv channel 4 made a lot of its own stuff but i think they were buying sort of cheap sort of programs just to put out during these hours just so they could get the um advertising revenue oh i i, I think you're, you're probably spot on yeah um, it wouldn't surprise me at all because it was so mixed bag like today because there's so many different channels you know each channel is almost a genre now but back in those days, it could be just anything from one thing to the next, wouldn't it? Oh, like, like there'd be no rhyme or reason to it. Like I said, marriage, they'd show married children and then they'd follow it up with American Gladiators. Like yeah. literally one American sitcom into, you know, a, an entertainment sports combat type thing. It, there, was no, there was no continuity with it at all. That was it. Did they show American basketball as well? Right, so, and, and you know, and this is another thing, because you don't get this quite as much now. We still, it still is regional, but I think back in the day, it used to be much more regional than it was, it is now. Oh, of course, I forgot about that. Yeah. So I remember um, going to Cornwall, I think it was, and 
get switch on TV and think, all oh, right, I know American Gladiators will be on in a minute. And uh, what they what you would sometimes get if you didn't have somebody on screen telling you what was coming on, you'd normally have like a title card. It would say, you know, like up next is so and so, and then uh, you know one one thirty is this, and and then mm. no, and um, and it was a completely different schedule. I was like, well, where's American Gladiators? And that was because, you know, every region would just rejiggle the same programming, but maybe across different days or maybe different time slots. So even across the country, things were different. Um, mm, I remember point. they used to show, they started to show the wrestling in the afternoon, but in other parts of the country, I later found out it was always shown at like two o'clock in the morning because they could just pick and choose when they wanted to show stuff. And that was it on. Yeah. Um, and I remember, like, because I was London region would be mine. Uh, Carlton, Meridian, no, Carlton. Yeah, yeah, but we started off as TVS in Kent. Oh, okay. Then it became Meridian. Um, and then I think now it's ITV Southeast or whatever. But it's quite funny because the news always used to come from Maidstone yep. in Kent. Famous, then it was, yeah, yeah then, it, then it was moved to... Um, Oh God! I can't remember now. I think it might have been Brighton or somewhere. And then now the news comes from Southampton, so it's moved further down the coast. See, that's nowhere near you. <laughs> it's nowhere near. So in the morning, for example, I could turn the telly on, and they'll say there'll be a you know the M3 will be blocked or whatever, and I'm thinking, well, you know, I don't go on the M3 unless I'm going on holiday. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because. <laughs> Why? Why do you need to? Why do you need to do that? Yeah, exactly. I only got on the M3 to go to Southampton or to go down to Devon. I mean, I'm not. I'm not on the daily commute down there. Jeez. <laughs> but yeah, because I remember getting. It must have been around the time that NBA Jam. Well, the pro. I'm sure the program I remember watching with America Basketball called NBA Jam Session or something. Yeah, but that I remember, rings a bell. At that time, I was getting well into the NBA Jam, like arcade game. Oh, that's where I know the name. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, everyone was mad on the Chicago Bulls at the time. Yeah, everyone. I think was Jordan just, played for him, didn't he? He did, but I was all about Shaq, and I, Shaq. I, I begged, borrowed, and stole to get a pair of uh, Shaq Attack Reeboks, Reebok pumps. <laughs> was that the the black and white ones? Uh, black. Uh, mine were black and blue, but they did do black and white ones. Okay. I think the black and white ones were sl- the black and blue ones were the first ones I remember seeing. And I think the black and white ones were like the like even like the way team or the second version, which are probably a bit better than my ones to be there. Yeah, a kid near where I lived, he had a black and white pair. Lucky man. They're the same ones I'm thinking of. Bet his parents didn't make him wait for them to go in the sales either. Um no. and uh, another thing that I miss from that era as well. And, and you know what? And I think one of the reasons I've really started to get into films and that when I was younger was there, and I can't remember what the program was called. It might have even just been called like box office top 10 or something, but they used to be like a countdown and it would do the American box office and the UK box office. Mm. And it would just show clips from films and maybe like an interview or behind the scenes of a film or something like that. And it, that's what it would be for half an hour was just 
you know, showing you what films were popular in America. And at that time, mm. we didn't get films the same time, did we? No, God, no. Quite often there'd be like months of yeah. delays. Well, this is it. You'd go on holiday to say Florida um, and there'd be all these films out that you've never heard of. And you'd like, oh, I've got to go to the cinema. And you're like, well, you're in Florida. You're in, there's all these things to see and do. But you want to go to the cinema? <laughs> <laughs> I remember, this will tie into one of our podcasts, actually. Um, uh, there was a kid at school and it was 1993. Mm-hmm. And it was like the first day back, September. And, uh, it, you know, coming in like new new shoes, all, th- all stuff like that. And... Um, he said, Oh, I went to, uh, I went to this place called Florida. I'm like, Oh, what'd you do there? Oh, I went to this place called Universal Studios. Now <laughs> I knew Universal Studios because I remember seeing the advert on telly as a kid that had King Kong and Jaws yeah. as well, focal points. Yeah. Um, so I was, I, like, and I was obsessed with Kong. So I was like, Oh my God, did you do Kong? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and, um, he brought in the map the next day. So yeah. He, talk us through everything that he did yeah um and i just found it absolutely fascinating but he'd gone to see um hocus pocus which hadn't come out in the uk by that point yeah um he'd seen last action hero which oh, i God, think yeah. was like a 15 i'm sure it wasn't a pg over here because i wanted to go really? and see it. I wasn't allowed to yeah i'm sure it wasn't a pg that's oddly high for that type of film well in America, it was PG-13. But at right. that time, we had... Oh, it might have been a 12, actually, not a 15. But I knew I couldn't go and see it because 12 yeah, at that time was 12. Because 12 was quite new, wasn't it? Well, 12 was... 12 came out with Batman. That was the first 89, 12. right, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, a few years in. And it wasn't until Spider-Man. So it's really funny, actually it was two superhero films that changed it. Spider-Man is when they released uh, the 12A category. Oh, okay. Yeah. Meant that you could see it if you was under 12, but with an adult, which is essentially what PG-13 was anyway, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I think so. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's in Jurassic Park. We'd all seen Jurassic Park. That wasn't a big deal. Um, But yeah, like Hocus Pocus and, um, he was telling us about the nightmare before Christmas, which again, I knew about because of comic books. Mm. And I remember waiting and waiting and waiting to see that film. And it was a whole year later. It came out in the UK. Gosh, I was in my first year of senior, uh, it's off secondary school when yeah. I went to the nightmare before Christmas. But golly. Yeah. That's- Cause it was, it was the year. I think it was the same year. As the, as ninety three is what you're saying, strangely enough, but it was the end of a term, whichever one it was, and his name was Darren Brooker, and his family had been to Florida, and he brought in to show us his dad's home movie. That sounds ominous. Yeah, so it's like yeah, I know. Thank God it hadn't been the wedding night video or something. Right, you can imagine. Um, and he was very very tan. He had blonde hair. And because it was like the end of term, they put the video on to show his holiday to Florida, basically. Wow. And that had a big impression on me because I hadn't really heard of it or understood what, what, what was out there because you wouldn't other, unless you'd been to a travel agency, you know, picked a brochure up or something. Um, and I don't remember what was on the video apart from I vividly remember 
seeing Typhoon Lagoon and these oh. massive waves washing all these people. Um, yeah, I remember that really well. But I don't remember any adverts for Universal or even Disney, I don't think. I remember, as I said, it, and it must have been early 90s that mm. they showed an advert for Universal because they were saying, like, it, you know, it just opened. And I remember the advert had King Kong, Jaws, and E.T. Mm. They were the three rides they focused on, um, mm. which is quite funny because, I mean, how long did Jaws, that Jaws ride open for? Oh, it wasn't <laughs> long, then it shut again, didn't it? Yeah, yeah for like three years. Um, what, do you know what year Back to the Future opened? Was it about 18 months after the park opened? Okay, because like, that kid was telling me about Back to the Future. So I didn't know about that ride. I knew Kong and I knew Jaws and I knew E.T., but I didn't know about that. Yeah. So that blew my mind. Um, and that was but great. There... Yeah, sorry, go on. No, I was just going to say, like, because he brought the map in, like, mm. you're, you're getting this, you're, you're trying to piece together in your mind what it must have looked like. Yeah. Because that's all you could do. There was no, you said, there was no, like, internet or, of... Um, looking up this stuff, everything well, was fine. It was all your imagination. And more often than not, your imagination would be exceeded when you actually got there. So mm. you were always pleasantly surprised and positive. Whereas today, everybody's watched everything to death on YouTube. And then when they get there, they feel underwhelmed because all of the secrets and all of the actual stuff they've already consumed by watching it on the television. Yeah. Whereas for us, it was the opposite. We we were given very little information, which gave us more of a thirst to actually want to be there. I remember when, uh, it must have been 91-ish, mm. um, a friend had gone to Disney World and, and gone to Disney World, and that was it. Mm. And um, I, I'd heard of it, but I knew nothing really about it. Mm. And um, he came back and he had like a Game Boy and loads of games because the exchange rate was something silly at the time. I've got no idea what it was, but everything yeah. was like dirt cheap and loads of clothes and stuff. And I mean, the, the darkest town I've ever seen in my life because he'd gone out there in August. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. He was quite a pacey kid anyway. And he was trying to tell me about it. And I couldn't, I couldn't like get my head around how big it must be. Yeah. And in fact, seeing it, um, I was quite lucky, really, in that when we first went, um, I, I, I read up a little bit about it, but I tried not to read up too much. And it it still blew my mind because if you don't know, and mm. it, it's very hard to not um, see photos and videos and speak to people that will tell you all the little details, and we're going to mm. deal with that as well, but... Um, it's hard to imagine just how big this place is. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, in a similar way, uh, last year, my mother-in-law, um, she was going to be in Florida when my wife and I were out there. So we decided to cross over, um, and then she managed to get a flight change, so she would fly home with us. So I said, well, I'll take you to Disney so you can experience it. Mm. and for a lot of people of a certain generation like oh it's for kids i don't want to know you know blah blah blah. but she wasn't resisting because i'd sort of said to her that you do need to experience it so what i'd done in a very analog way not not in the digital way is i i 
wrote her a, 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 um, like a like a letter almost explaining what Disney was, why Walt Disney did what he did, how he did what he did, the fact that he never actually got to see all of it, um, and then just sort of summarised everything to sort of give her the story behind it all. And she told me afterwards that it greatly enhanced her trip there because she knew all about it before she got there. But it wasn't spoiled for her in a way in which, like, like I said before, like YouTube or whatever would spoil it. So it was almost like an old-fashioned way of introducing her to Walt Disney World without, you know, the use of videos. That's really good, though. Like, I mean, that's thinking outside the box. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Cause it's very it's a bit terribly just... old-fashioned, but then she's in her 80s. So. Yeah, but no, but I think that Sorry, works. 70s. She's listening, 70s. <laughs> it's right. We'll, 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 I'll edit it. Um, but no, I mean, I think, one, you've, you've gone for your audience. You know, you've gone at what you think will work for your audience. But also, I think it's quite a sweet way of doing it because mm. you could have just gone, here's a YouTube video. Yeah. You know, yeah. you've actually tried to stop, you know, allow some of that... Um, the wonder and the surprise element to to be there, which yeah. would have been instantly removed had you done that. Yeah, you know that's right. And I remember when we went into Epcot. This, as soon as you walk in, you see the spaceship Earth, the big golf ball. And I remember her saying to me, "So he designed all this, yeah, and he he never got to see any of it. He didn't know, and it's not exactly what he wanted, but they've still built it anyway." I was like, "Yep." <laughs> so she had remembered all of this stuff and there was one point as well it was later on when she was asking me some questions and we 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 saw some far we saw the fireworks there that night and then a couple proposed right in front of her i mean i don't i didn't do it with me just this random couple just bloke gets on one knee and the whole sort of thing about being in disney walt disney not seeing it this marriage proposal and what Disney means to people on a personal level, it overwhelmed her and she started crying and I've never seen my mother-in-law cry. Wow. I mean, I think it is a wonderful place and I think it's magical. Um, Mm. Maybe lost a little bit of magic now, debatable, but this isn't disaster Mm. dark side. Don't have to talk about that. But um, I mean, I thought I was really unique when I got, when I proposed there, I thought that was most original thing. No one ever does that. It was only later on when I actually opened my eyes to uh, reading websites and Facebook pages that you realise everybody in their mother-in-law has pretty much got um, engaged at Disney World. Well, funny story, Very as a quick aside, very quickly. Um, today, before the Hagrid's thing all blew up on the internet, we did an article on HHNI Official about how um, a member of NSYNC um, met his girlfriend at Halloween Horror Nights, and that they go back every year and celebrate. Joe um, Fatone. Joe Fatone, exactly. And what I didn't appreciate, and you can go and read all the comments, is all these people, they're messaging in and, and, and sending DMs as well, saying, I met my wife at Halloween Horror Nights. Um, I got divorced at Halloween Horror Nights. Um, I literally got married inside a soundstage, inside a haunted house at Halloween Horror Nights. You know, I go on my, I've been on loads of first dates at Halloween. So actually, not only is it Disney that has this very personal connection to people, but even Halloween Horror Nights has such a 
deep connection to people on an emotional level, which you wouldn't assume an event about horror would have. <laughs> no, I, no, I suppose not. Although, if anyone knows Boston, then you could understand. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, I, I think I, I really struggle with people that um, proclaim theme parks, especially Disney's universes and stuff like that, as um, as being for children and can't comprehend why adults would get enjoyment at these places. And the thing is, is for me at least, I think you associate people, times, memories, um, childhood memories possibly at these places. And the thing is, you know, I went to the first theme park like that I went to was uh, Euro Disney. Yeah. It was yeah. at the time, just after it first opened. Yeah. It was the first Disney park I'd ever been to. Uh, first, I'd say proper theme park I'd been to. I remember going to Thought Park in the 80s before it was a proper themed mm. park. Yeah. Um, and just a collection of stuff in the field. But um, <laughs> it, it was... Is, arguably. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, so Disney... You know, I, I I can still remember things on that trip because mm. it was such an, a, a special trip. And we took my daughter when she was only four months old, I think. Mm. And we'd done that just because, you know, everyone said, well, why are you taking it? She's not going to mem- remember any of it. And we said, yeah, but we will. Mm. And we've got these lovely photos of her seeing characters and, oh, you know, stuff like that because... You know, and and she looks at those photos now, and yeah, she doesn't remember those things, but she can look at no. herself and think, "Oh, that, how lovely that was," and that's memories that she will be able to remember when she gets older. Because especially now with photos, I know we had photos when we were kids, but yeah, me and Craig were talking about this the other day. You know, you would take a camera, big camera. Th- you know, if you're mm. lucky, thirty-five pictures <laughs> on, a, on a film. No yeah. idea how the pictures would turn out. Yeah, expensive to print, and now you can take as many bloody photos as you want That's in the palm right. of your hand. Um, so it's all these things. You know, people will always associate these places with special events. Well, the, the the thing is as well is a lot of people misquote Walt Disney, but Walt Disney very definitely did once say that he builds the theme parks for the adults, the parents, essentially. Because, and to, to quote him almost directly, the kids don't work a 40-hour week to pay for these tickets. So, <laughs> do you know what I mean? The kids aren't booking these holidays. It's, yeah. the, it's the parents. So the parks have got to be designed around them. Yeah, and I mean, the thing is, we've had trips. So before we had my, my daughter, um, we went, we'd already booked a trip before we realised. And so my wife did go when she was pregnant and she couldn't go on many attractions Mm. because of that. And we still had a great time because there's so much you don't see when you're rushing around trying to get on rides and queue up for shows and stuff. So, you know, that's, that's what's great about, and I think, you know, Disney and Universal are kind of masters of that because, you know, there is much more than just rides. Mm. And I was in somebody about, or, or, or someone um, in one of the Halloween Horror Night groups said, yeah. can you buy a ticket to Halloween Horror Nights where you don't have to 
you, you get a cheaper ticket because you're not going to go any in any houses. Yeah. And they were like, no, because you know, you're you're going to an event. What yeah. you do at that event is your thing. Yeah, it's entirely um, up to you. But you you're paying for the whole thing. You can't have tiered pricing if you don't want to do certain bits and pieces. It would just be like madness um in terms of queues and stuff like that. And you know, we know people. Um, well, we know one person who will not go in any houses. Yeah. At a Halloween Horror Nights event. But they'll go for the atmosphere. Yeah. And I know another person that won't go on any rides that are roller coasters. <laughs> and the two, the, two, the two together make quite an interesting <laughs> pair at Halloween Horror Nights. Um, oh, yeah. Sorry. It is. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Just realised. Yeah. But we still won't name them. We love them. You know I love you. Exactly. Anyway. Yeah, I see, both of you. It's said with love. Yeah, I, I sent you a lanyard the other day. Come on. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't like me, but that's fine. That's, that's you know, we all, we can't. Everyone can't love each other. It's fine. Um, but let's go back to Swamp Thing, where we started. Yeah. So I I've got my own kind of thing about Swamp Thing, mm. um, but I wanted to hear about you. Do you know it's been so long? I can't remember it. I'll be honest with you. I can remember the action figures. Yeah. Um, I, I, do you know what I, I, cause I'm half, I'm half Scottish. I should tell you now. Are you really? Well, yeah, but I don't, you know, my uh, late uncle who was uh, more Scottish than me, he used to say, um, I don't like going back up there to that third world country. <laughs> um, <laughs> we can, we can say that because we're, you know, we're half, whatever. But I remember the Swamp Thing action figures, having them, what year do you reckon, Paul? Uh, well, I'm looking, I'm looking at the cartoon. Yeah. I'm looking on a Wikipedia page, and the cartoon aired in 1991, and it says that the action figures were produced in 1990. Yeah. Now, we would have probably gotten a little bit later, wouldn't we? Yeah, I'd say probably about 91, maybe 92-ish kind of time. Okay, well, let's say 92 for argument's sake, right? And the yeah. reason I mentioned the Scottish thing was um, my nan, who was a full Scot, she, um, when I was very, very young, she took me up to Scotland with her, with her and we lived up there for a short while. Um, and Because uh, it was such a, in those days, it was such a long way to go. Yeah. And I remember we went out, and it was West Coast, Scotland, um, sort of Glasgow area, and we had a day trip to an island called Rosse, and it's a little touristy island off the coast there somewhere. And we went, it had this tiny little high street, and we went down the high street, and there was a toy shop. We went in the toy shop, and this would have been 1997, I believe, and they had just got in the Swamp Thing action figures. And I remember, I remember my uncle, the same uncle again, saying to me, oh, Scotland is so behind that they get everything later than everyone else. It's like, it's like going back in time when you go to Scotland. Wow. And then I walk in the shop and see these Swamp Thing action figures, which to them was brand new. So I was like, actually, bloody hell, he might actually be right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, you, if you are Scottish and you're listening, probably not like that anymore. It probably wasn't like that in the first place, but, you know. We'll have to ask Mr. Day. Mm. 
Well, he's uh, he lives down here now. He lives near me somewhere, doesn't he? So. Yes. Yeah. Well, we don't disclose locations for you. Um, <laughs> just just in case Boniface has got a hit out on you or something. But yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's weird, right? Because I, I used to go to London most weekends mm-hmm. because my dad used to have a season ticket. So, you know, and it, you know, because I was a kid, it used to cost me like I don't know, about a pound to travel with him or something on his season ticket. Mm. So we used to go most weekends to uh, Forbidden Planet. Yeah, the best. Now, at the time, I think they had about a handful of stores across the country. There wasn't many, but no. London was one of the bigger ones. Yeah, that was definitely the best one, wasn't it? And it was the the one I used to go to was behind, pretty much behind where it is now. So it used to be on New Oxford Street, and now it's on Shaftesbury Avenue. Yeah, it's sort it's, of like on that corner now, isn't it? It's sort of yes, yeah, trafficy sort of area, isn't it? That's right. And the the one in the one that used to be on, on New Oxford Street was a much bigger shop. It used to have like um, top floor that had comics and some action figures and then downstairs was mainly books and some graphic novels which are kind of newish at the time um but i used to love going in there and looking at the action figures and of course they get like a load of import stuff so it. i was an avid collector of action figures oh my god um let's see what time is it now Ten fifty-three. yeah i reckon we'll probably get another four hours out of this um <laughs> love it i don't think this is a thing like i think that's why we kind of get into these kind of tangent stuff because I think we've got a lot of similarities like that. Mm. Uh, I that was the first place I remember seeing um, the the Marvel action figures, which were oh god, he made them Playmates. He must have been maybe I don't know. I don't know if it was Playmates, but. One of my earliest memories was playing with a Spider-Man action figure. The one with suction cup hands? I think it was. And it, came, and it, it didn't come with, but there was also in the same range, there was a Dr. Octopus. Yeah. And you'd pull a thing on his back and his tentacles would move. Yeah. And I remember I dropped him behind our radiator. Oh, dear. Yeah, and I was so distraught that my grandfather had to take the radiator off the ball to get me a Dr. Octopus back. <laughs> But, but before you said Marvel, I was going to say Marvel because I, I adored collecting for a very long time Marvel action figures. It was, it, it was funny because the first superhero, the first superhero figures I got were, um, I later found out, Secret Wars. And I had a Captain America and uh, did I have a villain? I definitely had a Captain America I had a, and, and he came with in, in the days when superheroes would come with really crazy vehicles. He came mm. with like this bike and sidecar, but the sidecar had like a door on it. So it wasn't an open sidecar car. It was like a covered sidecar. And yeah. I remember his shield used to, if you moved his shield, it used to like animate a little picture. Yeah. I've looked it up. It's Mattel. Yes. Yeah, they were the yeah. ones. Yeah, so I had yeah, I had him. He had like a like a hologram on it, didn't it? Yes. I yeah. had him, I had Spider Man, and I had Doctor Ock, and I had 
Doctor Doom, and I think I had Wolverine as well. Ooh. And maybe the Hobgoblin as well. I don't think, I don't think I had more than that. I remember having those two, and then not long after I had those, Batman the movie came out, mm-hmm. and I had all of those. I mean, that Batman from mm. Batman the movie, I, I think every kid probably had one at some time. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. They were everywhere. And then, and that was, I'm sure that was Toy Biz, and then they then started making a Marvel line. And what was really weird, and I think telling of the time, is they started doing Marvel superheroes and they also started doing DC superheroes. So one toy company did both lines of action figures for both mm-hmm. comic book companies. And that's the one where I had the Spider-Man with the suction cup hands and I had a Hulk, which had... Um, <laughs> he had these arms. Mm. A pull pull bit of plastic and his arms would kind of clench in and he used to have a metal pipe that he would be able to crush because his arms moved mm-hmm. and i had a punisher which you could feed caps into his back okay so i'd make like a, a gun noise yeah like yeah you used to have like a cap gun um and i got those from forbidden planet and i, I didn't see him for quite a while afterwards because they used to get figures in like well early yeah, yeah. Import them over. Import them over, yeah. And um and then I remember getting the Dark Knight Batman figures and between the first film and before um Batman Returns, Kenner took the license for Batman and started making Batman vehicles and, and figures. Mm. And they come from Hidden Planet, and that's when I got the toy catalog in one of the vehicles. Now, do you remember the toy catalogs they used to put in with the Kenner figures? Yes, yeah, because I think that's how I found out that Police Academy did. They were definitely in one of the toy catalogs, mm. and there's there's a website where somebody has scanned in a lot of them. Really? Yeah, I was looking a few months ago. I mean, they are fascinating pieces of history if you like toys. If you don't mm. like toys, then maybe not. Um, but that's where I first saw Swamp Thing. And then I bought the toys. I bought some of the toys when they came out. Mm. And I started watching the cartoon. Now, you said you remembered the cartoon as well, didn't you? Yeah, vaguely remember it. Yeah, not not best memory. No, and that's the thing. Like like you, I w- with these kind of things, I can't remember like a single episode. I can remember watching it. I can remember the theme tune but I cannot tell you what happened in an episode. Really weird. But how many, and bearing in mind, I'm going to give you this figure. Um, I, I, I'll give you the statement first, sorry. In 1990, Kenner produced a line of Swamp Thing action figures with vehicles and play sets that serves as the direct counterpart to the animated series. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, God, I forgot about the rubbery mask that they had on as well. Um, some of the accessories would be reused for uh, the original Battle Trolls in 1992 according to an online fan source so you know I suppose rumour Kenner invested approximately 6 million dollars into the Swamp Thing figure line it also states that according to Kenner test results using male children between the ages of 6 and 11 showed them to be more popular than both G.I. Joe and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles gosh right now, 
Now, you know, $6 million sounds like an awful lot of money for a toy line. I don't know how big that was, but that to me suggests they thought it was going to be a big thing. How many episodes of Swamp Thing do you think they actually made? What, cartoon? The cartoon, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Just take a wild guess. 24. Five. They made five episodes now like you if you'd have done the same thing to me and asked me how many episodes i thought they'd made a swamp thing i'd have gone i know 30 40 50 maybe there must have been quite a few no there were five episodes aired gosh because like when you think of say like he-man which is another popular thing when we were kids i mean they must have made a million of those but you know but look how many figures they made. They like made like multiple series of figures for a cartoon that lasted five episodes. I know. It's strange they would double down on that. I mean, I'm looking at them now. There's so many variants of this, uh, this toy line. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Just, just, just really weird. I mean, the thing is, like, and I never watched it, but with the Universal Connection, they made a live-action Swamp Thing TV series, which yes. was filmed at... It was filmed exactly between uh, where Back to the Future was and um, the uh, where the sprung tents are. Yep, in Universal Land, obviously. <laughs> I think it's, is there isn't there like a plaque near Men in Black that says like something mm. was filmed here? Oh no, there may have been a lot of plaques have gone recently. Um, sure they're all the. Something. Well, all the brass plaques that were between the sound stages that had all the TV shows and films, they've all been taken off. Why? I don't know. It was last year I noticed it. I thought that was a piece of history that they've removed. Yeah. But they've all been taken. Apparently they've been, in, they've been put in storage, but there's pointless putting them in storage. They're there for a reason. Absolutely. So, I mean, I know, you know, Swamp Thing was the thing, and one of the things we talked about when we were talking about VHS fishing is... Mm. I recorded Return of Swamp Thing, or thought I had, when I watched the tape back, I missed the beginning of the film, oh. thought when Swamp Thing going to turn up, and it was because I'd actually recorded um, Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> and that confused little eight-year-old me. <laughs> When's Swamp Thing going to turn up? Oh, all these bad people trying to kill each other about. Um, <laughs> yeah, Swamp Thing will come and save them in a minute. <laughs> that's what, honestly, that's what I was like, oh yeah, he'll, he'll come in in a minute. I thought, God, he was all. I remember seeing the poster for the film. He was all over the poster. Why is he not in this film very much? Because he wasn't there at all. Because it was the wrong bloody film. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we were. But then you would never have known because there probably wasn't a TV guide around. But you know, we were sort of naive, weren't we? Really, back then, because I remember the same uncle again. Um, you know, when you used to record songs from one tape cassette to another, you could record them faster and then you could yep. choose whether they played in a, like a high-pitched squeaky version yep or not i remember him doing that to an album um and then telling us as kids oh by the way this is chip and dale's latest single that they've released um was it chip and dale or no it was the chipmunks you know alvin simon and theodore right this is their latest album. Do you want to listen to it? You know, <laughs> it was just, you know, I don't know, Nirvana or something. <laughs> it sped up. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, I tell you another thing when, 
I don't know why this came up, but when we was like when we were talking about Swamp Thing action figures and stuff like that, it, it it kind of brings back many sort of other things. And I think because I remember seeing this on the same channel that I watched Swamp Thing, mm. um, it reminded me of this. Do you remember the X Men cartoon? What the nineties one? Ah, not that one. Not yep. that one. No. In 1989, there was a pilot called Pride of the X-Men. It was called X-Men, but the episode, like, subtitle was Pride of the X-Men. As no. In Pride. Um, it was originally broadcast in 1989, right? Mm-hmm. And it was supposed to be the first of a series. Now, what happened was they... They released it. It got shown on TV. Um, for whatever reason, it didn't get the go-ahead. Mm-hmm. And so they went back, rejigged it, and then we got the X-Men cartoon that we all know and love. No, I did not know. There was... Um, there was. Do you ever remember the, uh, the X-Men arcade game that was like The Simpsons? Vaguely remember it. The problem was I was obsessed with um, Spider-Man. Yep. So while that was on, Spider-Man got an apartment and moved in with Firestar and Iceman. <gasps> Spider-Man, he's amazing friends. That's it. And every week, he was pretty much the villain was the Green Goblin. Yeah, it was almost like they couldn't figure out another villain to get into that show. Yeah, and then randomly, Doctor Doom would pop up now and again. Um, but yeah, that I was more into that, I think. And I think that might have been around the same time. Yeah, it was definitely... I remember watching it when I was... Yeah, in the eighties, absolutely. Yeah, they made um so in a similar thing to Kenner and the Swamp thing. I think that's why I tied this together actually as well. Yeah. Um, they made an X Men arcade game, and it was made by uh, Konami, who made mm-hmm. the Simpsons arcade game, um, and m- probably many other games that were like that where you kind of walked around and you beat people up. Okay. And so I made this game which came out mm, it was after, I'm sure it was after The Simpsons, so we're probably talking 91, 92 maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but they used the same characters and the same voices as that one-off X-Men cartoon. So even though the X-Men cartoon that we all know and love was then airing on TV, this arcade game was using like completely different outfits and yeah. voices as that cartoon because they just started working on it thinking that was going to be it. And so um, Wolverine was wearing like the orange and yellow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and he spoke with an Australian accent. Do you know what? This is all ringing a bell. Um, Wolf, um, Cyclops had like the, the blue, the dark blue outfit um mm-hmm. and colossus and dazzler were main characters as well yeah. and it's all really weird because the x-men cartoon we ended up with in the end was yeah. obviously like great but i i always wonder what if what if that that one off had, had taken off and it wasn't very good i remember watching it and thinking yeah this is not as good as the the other one but yeah, I just, I just thought, I just find stuff like that fascinating, where something just doesn't work. Yeah, I, I, 
I say, I think I may have seen it once, but I don't really remember it. But funny enough, um, really great Marvel experience that I had once was actually in Universal Orlando. Mm-hmm. Um, they used to do a live show in the New York area um, of uh, Universal Orlando. Did you ever see it? No, it was, it was, so this was before Superhero Island, wasn't it? Yeah. What it, it, uh, yeah. Long before that. Yeah. So it would have been 97, 96, something like that. Mm. And oh, maybe earlier, I'm not sure. Anyway, it was around that time. And this is absolutely a true story. Um, my, we was there with my parents and there was me and my young brother who was in a, um, push chair and my nan. And my parents wanted to go on Kong. I was too terrified because <laughs> Universal used to, te- I, used to, I used to adore. The first thing I ever looked up on the internet was Universal Orlando. It's absolutely true. That was the very <laughs> first thing. Uh, so I used to adore Universal, but it used to terrify me. There's a shark trying to kill you. There's an ape trying to squash you. Yep. you know, anyway, um, parents went off to ride Kong and the ride was, you know, hours and hours long. And my nan, myself and my kid brother stayed outside in the New York area in like Central Park sort of area. And this, this uh, Marvel show happened all around us with like Spider-Man was climbing up one of the buildings, uh, Storm from X-Men comes sort of flying down with sort of powers and Wolverine was there and Captain America was there fighting people. And it just happened all around everybody as we were all standing there. There wasn't actually like a stage. Hmm. Um, and it, for a kid that loved Marvel and there used to be a Marvel shop where basically where Ghostbusters was, that shop there, that just used to be filled with Marvel stuff. It, whenever I went there as a kid, there was never any Ghostbusters stuff. It was just all Marvel because <laughs> I think they knew it sold. Yeah. Um, cause I think Ghostbusters was sort of waning slightly in popularity at that point, but Marvel was slightly on the up. But anyway, so this, this big stage show happened and I was absolutely in awe of it, particularly seeing Spider-Man who'd been my childhood hero in the flesh fighting bad guys and things. Um, and then it all sort of finished and everyone carried on with their day. And then my parents come out from seeing Kong and they just couldn't believe that we'd seen this fantastic Marvel show. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. They used to do, you know, it's funny when you look at the kind of live shows that you used to get at places like that. Um, I was reading that there was a turtle show at Disney Hollywood studios. Yeah. I never saw it. Yeah. Um, later on when I was there, I think the first time I was there, they had a power Rangers like show, not, not a show, but like they had the characters come out Mm. quad bikes. I want to say. Yeah. I think it could have been. There was something, and I, I, it really confused me because I didn't realise that Disney actually owned it at the time. Did they? They owned it for a while, yeah. Because uh, I remember being a kid and um, fishing again, and they had uh, a comic book convention on, some sort of late-night American documentary sort of thing, and they had a comic book convention, and they had Vampirella, there was a woman dressed up as Vampirella, mm. which if you know what that is, a tall stick insect, massive boobs. And it was played at the time by a lady called Julie Strain. 
I remember her vividly as a young boy would. Um, and she was the wife of the guy that created the Ninja Turtles. Okay, yeah. And I just remember at the time being a huge fan of the Ninja Turtles and then finding out later on that, that Vampirilla, you know, this, this sort of comic book vampire, superhero sort of woman, was his wife. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Because mm. that, that, I mean, I, I know it is different, but I do kind of associate it a little bit in the same way um, as Elvira. Yeah, Elvira. And I remember seeing Elvira again, must have been late 80s or something. And they used to show her show on BBC Two or BBC One. It must have been BBC Two. It couldn't have been on BBC One. Mm. Um, but like, again, like late on a Friday. And it would normally yeah. be her hosting a horror film yeah, of some kind. And that just really... When I later found out that it was a character played by someone, it really confused me because I just assumed that that was a real person. Yeah. And that's yeah. who she was because she didn't, it wasn't like watching a, a vampire or, or like a monster or something like that. She was just a woman, similar kind of shape to Vampirella, um, but with a big beehive who would just be presenting the show. Why was she any different to Moira Stewart? Yeah. Just assume she was a real person. Yeah, because I, I, I don't remember that. I mean, I only remember her films, which obviously came later. Um, I remember remember the first one, because there's a scene in it. And I mean, I've not seen this since early 90s. Uh-huh. But she throws, I think it's a red stiletto at somebody, or uh-huh. definitely a shoe. And the uh, the heel of the shoe sticks in her head, in this woman's head. And so she's walking around with this like stiletto shoe hanging down her face because it's just in powder. Oh, right. And now I've said that, I could be completely and utterly wrong because I've not seen it since I was a little kid. <laughs> but I'm sure that was in the Elvira film. Well, a, a podcast I like to listen to, um, Mick Garris, the, the guy that directed Psycho 4, that was the first film that was ever shot at Universal Orlando, he does a podcast and um, uh, he, last month, month before, he interviewed her. Um, what a really, I mean, she's very funny and, you know, but actually funny people are usually very clever. And she, what's just a really clever, nice, down-to-earth, humble person. Um, she apparently dated Elvis for a while. I was going to say, I had read a thing recently where, was it Vegas she worked there's like a showdown. Yeah, there's that urban legend, isn't there? Yeah. And uh, she she apparently had a thing with Elvis. Apparently she had a thing with Tom Jones as well. Heard that as well, yeah. Mm. You know. But, you know. <laughs> Bless her. She's still going strong. Incredibly hardworking lady. Mm. She must do cons like every week. I bet there must be people that actually do do cons every week. You could probably make a living out of it. Mm. I, I, you know what, though? I, what I don't get with cons and stuff like that mm. is that like, I've got a friend that goes to a lot of cons. Mm. And he, he'll meet like the big celebrities. So um, he met David Tennant at one recently. 
Um, and he's had his picture taken with all manner of fairly, you know, well-known celebrities. Mm. But he also gets just as excited as like an actor who played um, Postman Number Two in the background of a shot of something. Well, it's funny you should mention that because you I... You know Postman Number Two? I, well, I know Postman Number Three. No, I, I went to a Doctor Who convention... Right. Mm-hmm. I don't care, you know. Um, in Windsor, this was about three years ago. And uh, Tom Baker was there, Colin Baker was there, Peter Davison was there, Sylvester McCoy was there. I think Sophie Aldred was there. There's quite a few Doctor Who people. Anyway, at the convention selling stuff, like a garage sale almost, was David Warner. Oh, now, because it was a Doctor Who convention and because everybody was there to see the Doctor Whos, nobody actually bothered to go and see David Warner. <laughs> this is absolutely true. Oh my God. And I, I and a couple of other guys who were just, I think they were just workers of this hotel, was just chatting to him because he was bored. Um, but, you know, it's just ironic that everyone was there to see. I mean, if it had been a Star Trek convention, perhaps. I mean, he played several characters in Star Trek, like several famous characters. I, I'm a, I don't even know if he was in Doctor Who. I don't know. I don't think he was. Um, It'd be booking if he wasn't. Well, thing- I don't know. I'd have to Google it. But but the funny thing was that nobody really knew who he was or bothered with him, and he just was just a really nice guy that come across as you know. It's it's um it's a funny one. I'm just having a look now, see if I can if I can see because you know to me, David Warner is um. I'll tell you what David Warner is not as old as I thought. I mean, seventy seven years old. Is he? I would have had him down as much older than that. Well, according to Wikipedia, he's. Basically, done lots of the big Finnish audio documentaries. Ah. But it doesn't look as though he's appeared in any actual episodes. Yeah, but you know what? Though, actually, we'll come back to that in a second. Because I know David Warner from Tron. He's obviously the main villain in Tron and was supposed yeah. to be in, in the aborted Tron 3 as well. Because his son was the, uh, was going to be the main antagonist in that third one. Because he had that really weird cameo, didn't he? It was Killian Murphy. Oh, yeah. And in Tron Legacy, he's in the film for like 30 seconds. And you're watching, you're like, isn't that Killian Murphy? What's he doing playing like some exec sat around the table rather than lead character? It was because he was, that was supposed to be set up to be the big villain in the third one, which never right. happened. Um, but David, David Warner is one of those people that's been in like just everything. Everything, yeah, he Mary has Poppins been in Returns recently. He was in what? Mary Poppins Returns. Oh, he was, yeah, at the end. Oh, no, no, the captain, wasn't he? he was yeah, the, yeah, the uh, cannon. The cannon. But no, he was in Doctor Who, but he was in the new series of Doctor Who. Oh. One episode. Okay. Because the thing is, so, and that's why I wanted to kind of just say it before we got back onto it. Um, mm. In the early noughties, um, I... I was really into wrestling. I'd got back into wrestling after having a few years out and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I found a shop in Barking 
in Essex, uh-huh. near where I lived, which sold lots of wrestling figures. And it was a shop called 10th Planet. Okay, that rings a bell. And 10th Planet was like the second biggest Doctor Who shop. And unfortunately, the biggest Doctor Who shop in the country was the Who shop, mm. which was about two miles down the road. So they were right. in a lot of competition with each other. Oh. And at the time, it was just when, because I mean, like early 2000s, we've seen um, the Doctor Who TV film, That's the American right, yeah. one. And that was it. There was, there was nothing. There was all these rumours that the BBC were going to do something and never, nothing ever happened. So they, um, that, that, and that was about the same time Big Finish started to put out a load of audio um, episodes mm. of Doctor Who and that started to take off. And then they started re-releasing um, obviously the old series, but also like lost episodes and, yeah, um, you know, the films came out again, all that kind of stuff. So, um, they supplemented the shop by selling other bits and pieces. So I used to go and buy my wrestling figures and I got really friendly with them and I did a bit of like unpaid work for them. Um, mm-hmm. I'd get like, well, I say unpaid work, I was paid in, in figures. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I'd go and, you know, work a few hours, a few days a week. It was like the best mm. because it was just talking to, to geeks. Um, yeah. and yeah, it was a really funny time to be a Doctor Who fan. And they would always um, get celebrities in doing signings. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was hard to get some of the big uh, Doctor Who names. So they get people in like, um, was it Nicholas Courtney? Yeah, he played Brigadier really Lethbridge Stewart. Yeah. And um, Jacqueline. Oh, God. I didn't book these, so I don't, you know, I don't need to remember their names. Um, but it would be, it would be people that normally played like sidekicks and, and, you know, once or twice a year, they'd get, you know, they'd get enough money together to, to get one of the, the main doctors. So Sylvester McCoy, they had once Tom Baker had once Connie Baker, um, Sophie Aldred, they had, um, but they would also do the conversation, the convention circuit as well. So yeah. I remember one, I, I worked from one weekend at Milton Keynes and, yeah. um, you know, I was helping running their stall and it was where I found out two great bits of information. The first one was Leslie Grantham was supposed to be appearing at his convention. At the, yeah. And at mm. the very last minute he was pulled. And the reason why he was pulled was a story was just about to break that he was going back to EastEnders. Oh, right. Okay. When he, he went back into it for a while. Yeah, he did, um, yeah. So he, so he didn't turn up because his story was going to break and whatever reason, I think he was doing press or something. Yeah. Um, the other one was um, the story I heard about Sir Ben Kingsley. Now, this right. is a story. So, um, you know, don't sue me for libel. I'm just passing on what I was told. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to somebody who worked on the, uh, the Thunderbirds movie. Do you remember that live action Thunderbirds film they did? Oh God. Yeah. The Jonathan yeah. Frakes one. Yeah. And, um, I think he was only like a runner or something on it. Um, but he said like, you know, I met Ben Kingsley once. I was like, Oh wow. What was, what was that like? And he's like, absolute arsehole. I'm like, Whoa. Okay. Like, 
what happened? And he said, well, um, I was asked one day to uh, see if he wanted a, a drink. So I went up to him and said, oh, uh, excuse me, Mr. Kingsley, uh, can I get you a drink, please? And he said, you know, he just turned, he kind of like stood still for a while, turned around really slowly to him and screamed, my, my name is three letters long and it's Sir. Gosh. And that was it. I was like, hmm, I can see why you weren't that fond of him. So <laughs> uh, if you ever bump into him, please do not refer to him as Ben. Please refer to him as the other three letters that he likes to go by, Sir. Gandhi. <laughs> That's more than three letters. Oh. That, that was a weird convention because it, um, it was headlined by the woman who was the Terminator in T3. Oh, God. Just come yeah. out. So this must have been 2003-ish. And uh, the Weasley twins. Oh, they, they go yeah. everywhere. Yeah, but this was, this was like second Harry Potter film, maybe. Maybe oh, okay. third was about right. to come out. So, yeah. So, like, that seemed like a big deal at the time. But like you say, they are everywhere now. And also, they had the, um, the twins from The Matrix, Oh yeah, they're the British, aren't they? Weren't they? Are yeah. British those twins? Yeah, they're British, and they used to do like sixty-minute makeover. They were carpenters. That's right. Yeah, and yeah, they, they were on break. like changing rooms or something, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. Very, very strange. So, yeah, conventions are weird, but the, like the reason for saying that is when you go to conventions, you get these big names mm. at the time, but you also get an awful lot of these people. You these like character actors almost that. Uh, I'm never really the forefront of something, but people still really go mad for. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I remember about 92, 93, they used to show classic Dr. Who on a Friday evening at about six o'clock, which on BBC two, which later on was the slot that the Simpsons would yeah. take. Yeah. Uh, but it was Dr. Who for a while. I mean, they used to mostly show, the better John Pertwee episodes. Mm. And then they also showed Tom Baker episodes, but I don't think they ever really showed any of the other doctors. It was only those two at the time in the mm. early nineties. So I only had a knowledge of John Pertwee and Tom Baker, Tom Baker being my favorite. Mm. And 93 was the 30th anniversary of Dr. Who. And well, you know, they did a celebration. They did Albert square, didn't they? Yeah, didn't they do? Was that it? Was that the year they did like it was supposed to be like a three D episode? That's right. Yeah. yeah, she had to send off for the glasses from the Radio Times. That's right. And I mean, it was very Mickey Mouse, but then you'd sit there and stuff would sort of pop up. But it was only those red and green silly, yeah, paper three yeah. D glasses. Proper three D, no, 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 no. So anyway, so it was that, and then after that, up until ninety six, ninety seven, when the TV show came out. There was absolutely nothing on telly for Doctor Who at all. And so if you were a fan, which I was at the time, Doctor Who had been cancelled in 89. Mm. So you had nothing. And as a kid, time seems longer. So it felt like decades with no Doctor Who whatsoever. Mm. And I remember none of the kids at school liked Doctor Who either because it just wasn't, you know, a thing. Um, the TV show film... 96, 97 went down pretty bad anyway, so no one really cared too much about it. 
Um, and then you didn't have any sort of interest whatsoever in Doctor Who until they brought it back in 2005 or whatever it was. But, and the reason I say all this was watching those early Doctor Who's and Tom Baker being a, a fan, uh, be, me being a fan of Tom Baker, um, I, I then, it was 2000, I actually bumped into Tom Baker in real life. Um, and it turns out that he lived near us. And now where I live, he's technically one of my neighbours. But at the time, I was so starstruck and he bought me a coffee. Have we ever told you this story? No. No, I know. So I know, uh, I know where this story is going to go. Mm. I'm not going to say anything more because I don't want to spoil it. So I know where this story is going to end up, but I have no idea how this came to be. Mm. So I, I physically bumped into him, literally ran into him. He was coming out of, um, no, he was going into a Waitrose. Of course he was. <laughs> yeah. Where we lived, there was this one weird Waitrose that no one ever bought anything in. But it was the main car park for the town. <laughs> um, so you know, everyone would park in Waitrose and then do their shopping in the rest of the town. Typical Britain, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so he was coming into Waitrose as I was coming out of Waitrose and I physically bumped into it. And I remember, so 2000, I'm, what were we, 16, 17, something like that. Yeah. So I must have been 5, 11, something like that. I'm six foot one now. But I remember him just towering over me. I mean, he must have been six foot seven six foot eight utterly massive jeez and um yeah and then i i sort of nervously started speaking to him. i can't remember what i said now and then there was a coffee shop there and he bought me a coffee and i remember the only thing i had that he could sign was uh, i had a charles dickens book and it turned out he was head then apparently of the charles dickens appreciation society and I remember the only thing you wanted to talk about was Charles Dickens. <laughs> and how was your knowledge of Charles Dickens? Poor, to say the least. <laughs> but in Kent, you'll know this. Everywhere you go, there's a blue pack that says Charles Dickens did something here. Yes. Charles Dickens once stayed a night here. Charles Dickens once did it. So Charles Dickens to Kent is sort of like their author. And I, I don't really read so much of Charles Dickens. but. Um, so he was sort of fascinated on the subject and kept talking at length over it. And in the end, he signed my Charles Dickens book and then dated it as well, which was quite nice of him. And then periodically I would bump into him. Um, and um, yeah, and then it, it, it sort of went from there, really. And then I remember recently I was driving near where I live and he was walking along the road. I said, morning, Tom. I said, where's your TARDIS in the car park? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So where was I meant to leave with that story? Well, you get Christmas cards. I do get Christmas cards from him. Yes, that is true. That is very, very true. And it's ever so sweet. Um, and one of the first ones I got referenced that meeting in a coffee shop. And, um, yeah, yeah, he is an ever so nice bloke. And he t once told me that he 
Doctor Who is a bit like sort of James Bond. It's a bit like um, it's where the the actor is the character and always will be sort of thing. It defines you. Yeah. So like if you see Roger Moore, he was pretty much always James Bond. Same thing with Sean yeah. Connery. You know what I mean? They, they do other things, but that's what they are. Um, and Tom Baker has done other things. You know, he's done a lot of successful Shakespeare. He's done a lot of successful appearances as um, Sherlock Holmes. But everyone knows him as, to- as Doctor Who. And he was telling me the sort of the pressure of that, but also how he absolutely adores being Doctor Who because of the amount of enjoyment that he sees in other people when they meet him, that they only have such appreciation and love for him for, for, for being that character when they were children. Um, and it was just, it's just, just ever so sweet that sort of, you know, that he's just an actor. I think just an actor, but the fact that people, you know, think he's Doctor Who, I'm quickly children. And, you know, the, the current Doctor Who's, I mean, I know David Tennant, I think he appreciates that. Mm. I don't think Christopher Eccleston does. <laughs> oh, he, def- he, he definitely didn't, you know, yeah. quite, quite famously. Um, I mean, there was a big kind of fallout about that. And I'll, I'll be on, like, I'm not, I was, I watched Doctor Who when it was, um, Sylvester McCoy and, um, Ace. Yeah. Right. I remember like, that was one of my first crushes was Ace. Mm. And, um, I remember watching it and it used to scare me when the Daleks came on because, what was that 87 88 so four or five maybe Daleks used to really scare me um and I remember getting for Christmas that year uh, an annual and um also some Doctor Who toys that's the ones um (laughs) so I had TARDIS and I had Sylvester McCoy and I had um and you'll probably know the the winged that like creature yeah the car is that what it was what the, the wing back sort of spaceship looking car thing like no, oh, no no sorry no no um i had another figure so i had Sylvester mccoy and i had um it was this character it was like a it looked like a bat oh yes yeah yeah that's that thing is what essentially killed Colin Baker's doctor to turn into Sylvester McCoy. Okay. Yeah. Cause I never saw him in the show. And of course, again, yeah. that's because there wasn't really repeats. You either watched it or you didn't. That's right. Yeah. Um, and, and if that was a Colin Baker thing then yeah, it was well Sylvester McCoy when I started watching it. Um, and, um, but I remember when it came back and I was getting quite, um, excited because obviously you know I knew the people in the shop and you know finally there's going to be some new um, shows on TV and it's going to bring business back in because business was down and all that kind of stuff and um, you know I was excited because Christopher Eccleston was a was a good actor mm. and I remember I think it was like the day of the last episode being shown of that series and the press had leaked that he'd quit yeah yeah um, so I was then kind of expecting a transformation, which obviously we got. Um, but you know, I was, remember reading about it and saying, you know, he, you know, he only wanted to do one series and he thought he was bigger than the role and all this. Mm. And I thought it was such a shame because I thought, 
um, you know, like, like you said about um, what Tom Baker said about the role, mm. or a character like that, you know, it's a big responsibility. Yeah. And it seemed like he, he'd taken the part to raise his profile to then go on and do other things. Mm. And I just thought, that's such a shame. That yeah, because it's, it. it's bigger than you, but at the time it might not have been financially bigger than you, but it still is emotionally bigger than you. And I don't think Eccleston quite got that. No, no. Uh, I think it's a real shame. Um, and it soured me to him because I thought yeah. that's not what you should do as an, to me, that's not what you should do as an actor. You shouldn't take on a role like that. If you're literally doing it just to raise your profile. Yeah. That should be a bonus afterwards. Yeah. You know, if you look, yeah. you know, tenant, um, you know, that led to him getting some roles in Hollywood Um, same with Matt Smith. Um, and even like, you know, Karen Gillan um, was able yeah. to kind of launch a, a, a Hollywood career from Doctor Who. Um, and who was the, um, oh, who did Noel Clark play? I can't remember his uh, name. Mickey. Yeah. And, you know, he, he went on to do, you know, become a, like quite a, a famous director and, and make a lot of British films. You know, none of those people seem to True. use it to, you know, everyone got something extra out of it afterwards, mm. but they seem to really appreciate being part of that world. I'll tell you what, if you go back, if you're a Doctor Who fan, go back to one of the first episodes, one of the first series of Tenant, and it's where he goes to a school with Billy Piper and he meets up with Sarah Jane Smith, who had been the assistant under Tom Baker and John Pertry. And K9's in the episode. Do you know the episode I mean? I do. The funny thing is, I didn't last long watching Doctor Who. No reason. Yeah. Um, it was well, just, life gets in the way, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. That was it, really. But that was probably one of the last episodes I remember watching. And I like deliberately watched it because I knew K9 was going to be in it. Mm. Now I rewatched that. Well, I rewatched it a couple of weeks ago, and you know the the CGI is terrible. Um, so stuff like that hasn't aged well. But the storyline, I tell you now, I was because the story is with, with Elizabeth Sladen, who played her, is she sadly died of cancer a couple mm. of years ago. Um, but if you watch that episode now, and the things that she says about losing people, and the fact that we've lost her, um, and how canine supports her emotional that really big metaphysical stuff for a children's tv show but i wouldn't say i was reduced to tears but it really got me in the feel of that episode re-watching it in retrospect knowing all this has happened yeah it's funny isn't it when you you watch whether it's a film or a tv series where something's happened in, in real life and then you can kind of go back and watch it mm. and it, you then have a different appreciation for it because the message is, is, is then different to how it was when you first watched it. Mm. Um, it's a bit in a, in a very loose way, but it's a bit like when you watch that video, um, Johnny Cash did for Hurt. Oh God. Yeah. You know, yeah, it, was a sad, it was a sad video when you watched it, but watching that after he died, it mm. wasn't that long, maybe a year or so after he died. Um, adds a new dynamic to it. I was listening to it in my car recently and my wife said to me, she said, why, why are you looking really miserable? She says, is this, this song is, it's not that sad. And I said, no, I said, this was, this was literally the last song that Johnny Cash sang. 
before yeah. he died. Yeah. You know. I was never, I can't say I was like a huge fan of him, but I, I definitely appreciated his work. And I mean, that mm. is still something. There's just so much emotion in that. Um, mm. in voice and, and everything. Mm. And then you add the visual to it as well. And it's just double whammy. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it, 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 that's something that if I watch the video to it, it will get me in the feels. But um, question for you, going back for Tenant, mm. I remember fishing, going back to the fishing again. I got a film doing that, and it was probably early 90s. It was David Tennant, who would never heard of, and it was him as a struggling actor, and he keeps seeing in visions Johnny Depp, and he goes to Hollywood to be an actor from Scotland. And he's a jobbing actor in Hollywood. It's quite a long film. And sort of like Johnny Depp is like his spirit animal <laughs> in this film. Have you ever seen that? No. It's worth finding it. I'm going to look it up, see if I can actually remember what it was. Yeah, it's very strange. It must have been, I'd probably say it's David Tennant's first ever acting job, I'd imagine. Because um, I remember that film vividly because of Johnny Depp being in it. Hmm. And then uh, the first sort of role that I remember David Tennant in was where he was playing that um, Casanova character. Yes. Yeah, you remember? It was, the... it was like all these women was loving him. I think, who likes this scrawling little bloke, you know? <laughs> and then I remember his face and thinking, oh, hang on a minute. He's actually Scottish. Yeah, I remember him. He was in that film with Johnny Depp. But Johnny Depp's only in it for like 10 seconds every like half an hour. You know, he could have filmed the whole of his part in like half an hour on a soundstage somewhere. And that's it was, what... um, You found it? No, no, no. But that film was a really good film, and I found that. That was on like three in the morning on ITV or something. That is funny, isn't it? LA, it LA, LA without a map. I wonder if it's that. That's, that sounds like it. Yeah. Nine, LA Without a Map is a 1998 romantic comedy drama um, starring David Tennant, Vanessa Shaw, Judy Delpy, Vincent Gallo, Joe D'Alessandro, never heard of him, and Johnny Depp, a French, British, and Finnish production. Wow. Yeah, that's it. Wow, wow, wow. 1998. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't his first film. He was he he was in Jude, which he was in Jude. Uh, Gosh, he's forty-eight, Johnny Depp. Uh, not Johnny Depp. Um, David Tennant. Really? <laughs> Christopher Eccleston and Kate Winslet were in Jude. Were they? And that was and that was his first role. Um, but LA Without a Map was his his first kind of main role. Right. Oh, so that's that's really interesting. I've never heard of that. But like you say, like there was um there was a film on last weekend and I caught the end of it. Mm. Um it was on really not really late, sorry, that's like it was probably started about midnight or something on BBC One and it was called Life on the Line. And uh-huh. I just 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 channel surfing and found it. And it had um, John Travolta in it, who my wife is a massive fan of. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, let's. I've never heard of this. Let's let's have a look at it for a bit. Gosh, I've never heard of this. And either. it was. I mean, it was awful. Um, but it was about people that worked on 
the um, electric, like pylons, so electricity lines. Yeah. And they were replacing, they were like uh, doing an upgrade or something on these pylons. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't great. It wasn't awful, but it, it definitely wasn't something I could recommend. And uh, spoiler alert, Johnny, uh, John Travolta has a very comical death in it. Um, and then the end of the film had this really weird, soppy country and Western song, which just paraphrased the line of the film, but it clearly been written for the film. And it looks like, because even on Wikipedia, I couldn't see much about it. And it mm. looks like it was just one of those films that was made as like a director video thing from about four mm. years ago. Yeah. But yeah, like I, I never heard of it and I would never have heard of it had I not just accidentally stumbled across it. Well, funny, funny you should say about that film. Um, the wife and I, we've moved to this really, really old house in the middle of nowhere. And um, we're up high. We're sort of up in the hills, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, there was one night, and because when it's windy or rainy, it's up here it's really windy and rainy. And one night a few months ago, it, it was pelting down like really heavy rain, like Florida rain. And it was incredibly windy as well. The trees were all sort of leaning over. And she said to me, oh, there's some lights in our garden. And I said, oh, don't be silly. There's no bloody lights in our garden. But she kept insisting. Eventually I went and looked. And there was a few sort of lights coming from the other side of the hedge, which was somebody else's garden. I said, well, it's neighbours. I said, nothing to worry about. So forget about it. I go off and do something else. I think I was working on something. She come back. She said, there's, there's a man in our garden. And this is like sort of seven o'clock at night. And it was sort of winter. It was pitch black. I said, oh, for crying out loud. There's no one in our So I go down. I've got the torch. And I'm looking around. <laughs> nothing. And do you know what it reminded me of? Do you remember that Only Fools and Horses episode where they go uh, fly fishing? Yeah. Do you remember that cottage? It was like that. <laughs> <laughs> I pull the curtains back out the back and there's this face staring at me in the rain. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bloke from the National Grid. <laughs> <laughs> but it turned out that a branch had snapped off in the weather, hit the transformer and then sort of got lodged and was creating sparks. What, in, like near your garden? Near my garden. So one of the neighbours had obviously spotted it, called yeah. the National Grid. They sent this poor bloke out in this horrible weather, and he got those proper, like, like in that episode, like the, the copper was wearing, the proper waterproof coat that starts yeah. at the neck and ends at the ankle, you know? Yeah, yeah. He got that, the torch. Oh, my God. It was, oh, dear, oh, dear. It would have been the best start to any horror film going, that would have been. Oh, my God. But it was literally, it was literally that what that character looks like in that film that you're talking about. <laughs> Do you ever, on a similar kind of like this, right? Mm. I mean, I, not so much now, but definitely when I was younger, um, mm. we used to have a, about a hundred foot garden where I lived. Yeah, it's a quite a long garden, and mm. the bins would, were always down that end. Mm. And um, I'd get asked sometimes, you know, put rubbish out or whatever. Mm-hmm. And if I was doing it late at night, which it normally always was, and it was quite dark, mm. I would always think someone was going to chase me. Yeah, and I would yeah. go and put something in the bin and I would sprint back to the house. Yeah, I think that's just nature. I was the same. <sighs> Do you know what? I think for a long time, I mean, I've, I've heard a few people say this now, so I think this is a common theme. But yeah. for years, I just thought I was like weird for doing that. 
But it's funny, isn't it? Because there's no reason, you know, unless you've been in a, a situation like that, there's no real reason to, to be like that. But yeah, gardens can be scary. Yeah. <laughs> at night. Cause you know, even, even something, you know, even if you've got no kind of trees or, or hedges or anything like that, mm. it's fear someone's going to appear out of nowhere for no real, real reason. Mm. Very odd. Um, two things I want to just, you know, kind of finish for me. So the first one, what was that character in Doctor Who, the bat one? Oh. Well, anyway, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. So um, back in the early 90s, I would go on a Saturday morning to uh, Quasar. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, you know what I mean by Quasar? Yeah, the, the, we used to do it. Yeah, the... the... What do the they light, call it? Light gun. Guns. Thing. Laser. Yeah. Yeah. yeah la- la- laser tag now or laser, laser tag, or whatever. Yeah. Right. Um, and what they would do, so you'd, you'd go down there and it would be like a kind of like a kids club thing. So there'd be various different games, like might be like capture the flag or, you know, high score wins, that kind of thing. And um, you'd, you'd pay like a pound and you'd go and do that game and then you could, you know, sit out, do the next one, whatever you wanted to do. And uh, I remember they did it one day, uh, one of the games, and it was um, Monster Attack. Mm-hmm. And somebody had that as a fancy dress costume. And it was obviously very dark because that's how these things work. And uh, this, you know, person dressed up as that bat from Doctor Who. Um, Tech Trap. A tetrap. Yeah. Um, he came out of like the shadows screaming at me. Gosh. And chased me down a thing and I was petrified. In fact, this might be where my, my, my fear of gardens comes in. <laughs> and I, I, but what made it worse is he caught up with me and then he grabbed me Ooh. and lifted me up like, uh, like almost like under his arm. So I was kind of like dangling like Superman. And he was just walking around with me, still like shooting at other players and stuff like that. And it put me off for weeks. I could not go back. Yeah. It freaked me out so much because that's an ugly looking costume, isn't it? Yeah, it's that a character. weird thing. Yeah. So uh, instead, because um, there was like, it was in a bowling alley. So you had um, the bowling alley, you had Quasar and he had like a little arcade. So for like the next couple of weeks where I couldn't muster up the courage, I just um, waited outside when my mate played and I just played WrestleFest and The Simpsons and Pinball. <laughs> that was it. I just could not face it anymore. Um, and the other thing I wanted to, to say, um, going back to your story of bumping into somebody, mm. um, I've I bumped into a few celebrities over my time, but the, the ones that are most memorable, um, I was up in London on uh, Regent Street. Yeah, and yeah. I was in Hamleys mm-hmm. in their basement, and Paul Whitehouse was in there. Oh, this was ninety nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I was like, "Oh my god, it's Paul Whitehouse!" And um, I thought, oh, "Like it was," and this was the first time I'd ever met a celebrity in real life. I'd seen mm. a celebrity in real life. And I didn't know what he had cool or anything like that. And I thought, "Oh, it'd be lovely to get uh, get an autograph from him." So I waited for him to be served at the till or whatever. No one was really paying attention or anything. And um, I said, oh, I'm really sorry to disturb you, but 
I, I'm a big fan. I just wondered if I could possibly get an autograph. And he said, oh, yeah, sure. Have you got anything to sign? And I was like, oh, God. And I looked and I had a receipt. That's all I had. You, at least you had a book. So, um, <laughs> yeah, the bloody Charles Dickens book. <laughs> yeah, but still. So I gave him, I gave him this, um, this, this receipt and a pen and uh, he wrote, suits you. Whitehouse, and I said, Oh, yeah. you know, thank you very much. And it was like Christmas time, so he said, Oh, you know, hope you have a nice Christmas. I said, Oh, yeah, thank you, you too. And I walked off, and I was kind of like, Oh, like, oh, wow, you know, met this celebrity and stuff. And then a few, maybe about four or five shops down, yeah, Harry Enfield was outside Gap having a fag. Oh, my god, with like his partner or something. And I thought, Oh, my god, what are the chances of bumping into Harry Enfield now? As you know, like in, in the nineties, Harry Enfield and Chums was like huge. Oh, massive! And it was Absolutely him, massive. Him and Paul Whitehouse and, and Kathy Burke. Yeah. And also, Paul Whitehouse was very successful with the Fast Show. And it was around this time that Harry Enfield had left um, the BBC to go to Sky and do his own show over there. Unsuccessfully, yeah. Yes, and but he but he went alone. He didn't, he didn't take anyone else with him. So um, I sort of thought, I can't believe my luck. So I said, oh, I'm really sorry to disturb you, but I just wonder if I could get your autograph. And he said, oh, yeah, no problem. Have you got something to sign? I said, yeah. I gave him this bit of paper, and he's looking at it, and he's kind of like um, moving it around in his hand, trying to read what it says. Mm. And he's worked out, it's Paul Whitehouse. Mm. So he said, yep, no problem, turn around, and he... Uh, so he used my back to write on and he said there you go I said oh yeah thank you very much and I walked off down Regent Street towards Piccadilly Mm. and uh, I opened up this bit of paper and it just said wanker with an arrow to the White House (laughs) (laughs) and he signed it Harry Enfield and it didn't it didn't dawn on me at the time they just had this fallout oh no so, but the thing is, like, and so to this day, because obviously, like, later on, they would go back and do stuff together. Oh, Harry and so, Paul is phenomenal. Yeah. So I don't know if they ever had a, a proper falling out or it was just he'd gone off to Sky, he'd stayed to do the, the far show and their paths just went in different directions. And him writing that was just, you know, like banter that they would have done between themselves anyway. So, I'd imagine it'd be banter. Yeah. At the time, I thought it must be because he hates him. But I think... Mm. I think in retrospect. Yeah. yeah. I think in retrospect, I think it was just what I thought the situation was at the time. Because I never read any accounts to say they definitely did fall out, just that they did other things. Um, I remember him saying on a talk show once something about him saying, oh, he'd be nothing without me. But I think that was probably... The same thing. Same thing, you know. Yeah, because... Yeah, they're, they're, they're both different, but they they just work well together, don't they? So tell yeah. me you still got that bit of paper. Well, I mean, I didn't throw it away, but like many of the finest things in life, they are at my house, at, at my parents' house. So the chances I'll of me seeing just them... Just make up with them. I need to see this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the thing is, it's do I make up with them or do I just hope nature takes its course? <laughs> I don't know which one would be less painful, to be honest. Um, you're right, it is worth it. But at the same time, what is funny is um, every now and again, uh, it's happened twice now, maybe three times, 
I'll get a message from my brother because I still speak to my brother mm. um, and he still speaks to them. And, uh, oh, um, we've just had a, a delivery for you. Just had some more stuff delivered. Mm. And slowly but surely, I'm getting boxes from them of my stuff. Right. So I got one six months ago and it had um, a couple of signed wrestling figures in there Mm. And uh, an Abraham Lincoln Bill and Ted action figure. Nice. That was still sealed on the card. Um, and wow. a few other bits. You say, wow, but the thing is about 90s action figures, right, is that they're not worth very much in, in most cases. They're it's worth sad, more that, to though, us. Isn't it? It's worth more to us than it is to, mm. um, you know, on, on the real market. Sentimental fact, value. I was going to ask you, actually, um, in, I heard there's somewhere in Kent I don't know if it's, this was this was a good five years plus ago now, but there was a shop in Kent that was a toy shop, or is a toy shop, but it specialises in old toys. Well, Hornby and Scale Electrics are Kentish companies. Mm. They're made here. There's a factory in Thanet that, that you can go to. It has like a museum and everything. Mm. But I don't know... I can't think of any actual toy shops that just specialize in old stuff. There is a, there is a really good and there's really good antique shops. Mm. Um, there's a bloke called Briggsy up in Herne Bay and he sells lots of old toys. Oh um, man, I can't believe he's, you mentioned Herne Bay. Yeah. Herne Bay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hemorrhoid Bay as some people call it. Isn't it? Or something. I can't remember now. People are quite derogatory about her, maybe it's quite a sweet place. But Briggsy, he's got this old cinema and he just sells antiques in there. It's like phenomenal stuff. We got some chairs and some tables from him. And um, he's got these um, fantastic props in there. So he's got these like um, mummies sarcophaguses in there and they've been used on some film set somewhere. And he's got um, some amazing uh, like old fashioned fruit machines. And um, but you can't buy them off of him. Uh, I've tried to. <laughs> he won't sell them. He said, well, I like them too much. I was like, well, aren't you a shop? <laughs> What's this crap doing in your shop if you're not trying to sell it? <laughs> it's really just a front for a museum. I think it is. I think he's got enough money and he just likes to collect stuff and then just hope that the stuff he doesn't want sells. Hearn Bay, 93-ish, 92 Mm-hmm. was where I bought some Beetlejuice action figures. Oh, God. They now, why can I remember that? But I can't remember the really important stuff I need to know on a day-to-day basis. My, doing um, that, yeah, exactly. Not. I can't. That's, you're exactly right. I think it's our age. But I had the Beetlejuice car. Mm. It was a maroon color. And uh, our neighbor fostered a kid from Canada. It was a complete and utter bastard. And he ended up breaking it. Oh. But yeah, I remember those because they were sort of like rubber sort of. I had, yeah, I had, um, I didn't have the vehicle, but I had the grave. Oh yeah, I remember that because it was like a trick, wasn't it? Yes. You, you got a small Beetlejuice figure. Yeah. So it would like hide the main figure and turn him into a smaller figure. Yeah. Um, 
and honestly, like if you're listening and you, you've got no, you know, a grave toy, yeah, it, it's a, it's a thing and you can, <laughs> um, was literally and I, I had, I had a Beetlejuice in the kind of purpley maroony tux where his head span round. The wedding tux. Yes. Yeah, I had that one. And uh, I'm the sure. black and white suit one as well, probably. I wanted no, I wanted the black and white suit one. Because every time I went into Toys R Us, they always had loads of the black and white suited one. See, I don't remember seeing him in Toys R Us. I tell you what, yeah, I did buy were. in Toys R Us actually, and this this is why it's heartbreaking to me now about Toys R Us. I remember coming to Toys R Us and buying the um, the Remco. Universal Monsters. Oh, gosh. Bloody hell. Which were, like, really big. They were plastic, but they they must have had a bit of rubber with them as well because they had that kind of smell to them. Mm. And I bought them in Toys R Us in Basildon in, like, the late 80s. And I had to, you know, I I moved... Because I had family here. That's why I was here. So I'd come every now and again. And I moved here... And I was so pleased that Toys R Us was still here. And I now had children that I could share the wonder of Toys R Us. In fact, I think we'll do an episode at some point just about Toys R Us. Um, <laughs> and then I had to watch it, like, die in front of me. And even now, like, mm. over a year on, it is just a huge empty building with all the lights still on and the signs still on the walls outside. Mm, no one's taking it over. Because mm. it literally, the guy that created it, it literally killed him, didn't it? Yeah. When Toys R Us went bust, it literally killed him. Yeah. Yeah. But the yeah. thing is, though, Nick, I, I could say to you, that. Nick, what, what was you watching on telly last Wednesday at 7 o'clock? You're going to say to me, oh, I don't know. If I said to you, what toys were on the shelf in 1992 next to Beetlejuice, you'll be like, it was such and such. <laughs> yeah, it, it was, you know what? It was probably Aliens by Kenner. Yeah. Why? Why do I? Oh my god, my mind is a complex oh, yeah. thing. They were good figures, weren't they? Yeah, man. Well, I always wanted them. I wasn't allowed those. It was ninety two was the start of the downfall of your to- you're too old to play with toys. So figures yeah. that became fewer and further between. I started to make up for it when I got my own money, and I was about sixteen. But there was definitely a lean patch where I, I was well out of toys. Well, the the first time anyone ever said that to me was Jurassic Park action figures. Oh. So that was, what, 93? 93, yeah. And then after that, the only action figures I collected as a collector rather than a player, if you like, was uh, Star Trek action figures and the occasional Star Wars figure. When Playmates took over. When Playmates. And Playmates Star Trek figures were absolutely phenomenal. I found uh, a retro shop yesterday in a, a town near to me mm-hmm. and it was closed. So I couldn't go in there. I can only look through the window. Um, but they had, I think it might've been Donatello as Spock. Oh yeah. yeah. Cause they obviously did the turtles figures as well. But when they did that crossover, I don't think they sold well, those figures. No, I don't think so. I remember him being on the peg a lot. Those yeah, ones. yeah, yeah. And um, I didn't have many Star Trek Playmate figures, 
mm. had that first Picard, which was awful because that was the one where Picard had his like tunic open. Yeah, that that first series, they all had very strange uh, features. Like the Picard figure, his hand was obviously in in the doing make it so motion. Mm. It looked like he was trying to sort of like do something inappropriate to a woman in one hand. Um, yeah. And then on the other hand, do something inappropriate to himself. <laughs> um, and the Riker was the same. The Riker had this big splayed out hand, like a big jazz hand. Um, and then a phaser hand in the other one. And then his costume was like ripped in places. Yeah, they were, they were really odd. I mean, they got, I remember them getting really good. Um, but I, I only had a few of those. I had a few of the, was it Gloob? That made the first ones, oh, the, um, yeah. the, the tiny. I, I never owned them, but it, yeah, they had like molded phasers and stuff in their hand. That's right. Yeah, literally, the phaser was part of the arm, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, you know what? Um, <laughs> I think I joked about us going three hours, and we haven't quite, but we have been talking for about two. I think we, not because I want to. But I think we should wrap this up because I Gosh. don't want us to to get too far ahead of ourselves. But um, have you got any idea what this even is? Pop after dark? I don't know. No, no. This is this is this is its own thing. This is this is you and me. Oh, right? Okay. This is never going to be. We might get guests on if, um, or we might bring someone else on if we ever talk about an actual particular subject yeah this is essentially us just going through really random stuff that doesn't make much sense but then we bring it back around yeah well a lot of the times you and i both said tonight do you remember when um right then that's it so um this has been um the first and maybe second episode depending on where i cut it of uh do you remember when with uh with myself, Nick, and and yourself, Chris. Is that too boring? It's a working title. Do you want to? Do you want me to end on on my worst ever celebrity experience? Oh, absolutely. Well, you got to meet Harry Enfield and Paul Whitehouse, comedy geniuses. This is um, where I lived. Um, Vic Reeves and Bob Mortimer lived nearby. Oh my God. And a lot of people say they're geniuses. That's fine. You can say that if you want to. But knowing them, as in living near them, you quickly found out that outside of comedy, they were two miserable hits. Yeah, that's a surprise. And, me. Exactly. And just not very funny in real life. And I remember my, one of my very first jobs, I was working the petrol station. And stop me if I've said this story before. No, no. And um, Bob Mortimer came in. And the pump numbers on the different petrol pumps were a bit awkward. They weren't very straightforward. So people often used to get them wrong. And he came in and he went to the fridge freezer and he got an ice cream out. And he come to the till. So I said, oh, hello, you know, didn't tell him more. And then um, he went, pump one, like that. He didn't say please, thank you, or hello, nothing. It was just pump one. And he wasn't. He was on pump two. So I said, Iranu. <laughs> now, do you remember that episode of Father Ted? Where Father Ted sees Victor Meldrew in that cave. 
Do you remember? No. He goes up to him, right? And he goes, Hey, don't believe it, really loud. This Irano, they could have heard it on the forecourt, right? Bob Mortimer looks at me, right? And he goes, Chock ice. No, he goes, Pump one and a fucking chock ice, like that. Slaps the money on the desk and walks out. <laughs> Oh my god! Yep, that is absolutely oh. true. Did oh. not he didn't flinch, didn't laugh. He just went pump two and a fucking chalk ice. Well, um, I mean that's a great way to to end. It actually is, um, and I'll leave a little bit of a cliffhanger if we remember because we don't know when we're going to be recording another one of these. I mean, I could quite easily do this every night of my life for the rest of my life but um we've got no idea when we're going to recall this again but if i remember um the cliffhanger for this that will be resolved on the next episode is the time that dom jolly accused one of my best mates of being a pedophile <laughs> and proving that not only is he not very jolly but he's also an even more miserable bastard than bob mortimer so if that doesn't wake your whistle, I don't know what will. And next time we'll also talk about Euro Trash, which is the first time I've seen <gasps> boobs. Dom time. Jolly and Euro Trash. I mean, how the hell can you not look forward to that? Um, Chris, thank you very much. Um, and thank you for listening. Yes, thank you, my British chums. <laughs> Put the Euro Trash music in at the end. <laughs> And so that was episode one. And, you know, I, I hope you enjoyed it. It was literally just two men picking up the phone. Well, not the phone. We recorded it for our computers, but you know what I mean. But just two men having a conversation and, you know, it went off in, in weird directions and strange tangents. And we didn't really want to have a, a real structure with it. But it's a work in progress. And we really enjoyed making it and we've had some good feedback so far. So we're really excited to do more. Uh, we are going to be recording uh, a new episode in the, in the upcoming days of this first episode coming out on Diz After Dark. So uh, there will be a new one. And as I said before, it will go out first to our Patreons as a, as a thank you. And then will later be released on its own feed. So once again, search for Alas... Branch and Ripley in your podcast destination of choice. Um, another new show for the After Dark Network. Um, so thank you for listening and we'll see you with a new episode of The Correct Podcast is After Dark next week. Have a good weekend. <laughs>